We're 71 days till Easter. We're on a 71-day countdown to get our lives ready, to get our Georgetown campus, our Liberty Hill campus ready. We want to get our church ready. Because we want to do everything we can over the next couple months to lead someone who is close to us, closer to Jesus, in hopes that between now and Easter Sunday, they would join us in celebrating the resurrection of Jesus like never before. So we're, we're on a mission, and we want to make sure that this year, each person in our church family is making efforts to lead someone who is close to you, closer to Jesus. We want to do that by making sure we put into our life the rhythm of reading God's Word. Every day seeking to hear and see Jesus Christ in the Word of God so that our lives are oriented to who He is as we step into our world so that our world will see us living for Christ. We want to take time every week to pray for those people who are close to us, even taking time to fast for them so that we would set in front of us this great and awesome opportunity to help somebody else find God and follow Him. So we want to pray. And if you've not decided to fast, some point between now and Easter, I would encourage you to consider fasting for just 24 hours. So that would be after supper tonight and you're bloated from the Super Bowl game. You wouldn't eat again until tomorrow supper and you get a 24-hour fast and you were likely to feel hungry during that 24 hours and you would allow your physical appetites to drive you in spiritual exercise of prayer for people in your life you would love to see closer to Jesus. Maybe you want to do that once between now and Easter. Maybe you want to do it once a month. Maybe you would even venture to do it once a week. We can pray and we can fast as a church family. We can also spend some time journaling. You know, I'd encourage you, if you've not started journaling this year, that you would pick up a, a notebook or a journal and begin to journal a little bit and so that every day you would read something about the Lord, you'd see something about Him in His Word, and you'd say, if this is what God is showing to me today, why might He be showing this to me? And you begin to just order your day before the Lord, before your day starts, and you say, okay, Lord, if you're showing this to me today, this is how I want to live for you today. Maybe you just journal that, and then you'd also maybe journal a short prayer for that someone in your life that God would lead them closer to Him. Just spending time in the Word and prayer and journaling this year because we want to see people who are close to us become closer to Jesus because we believe as a church family that God has placed us where we are, when we are to help people find God and follow Him. Because here's the thing, God designed all of us to find Him, but we all need help finding Him. And the church is uniquely designed by God to help people find God and follow Him. And we get to be the church right here where we live, helping people follow Christ. 
I'm excited for us as we take steps in that direction this year. And one of the big steps we're taking is just getting into the book of Colossians. That's our new series. We're starting today, and I believe firmly that God's going to use Colossians to kind of help us move forward. Have, have you noticed something interesting that happens when you're in a room full of people and you yawn? Have you ever noticed that? Now, I, I dare you to go into a room full of people and command people in that room to yawn. They're going to look at you kind of weird, but you can still get them to yawn if you just yawn in front of them. Have you noticed that? And, and as I think about Colossians and us getting into Colossians, what I'm, what I'm praying is that every single Sunday, spending time in Colossians would be like spending time in a room full of people where a bunch of people are yawning and you just can't help but yawn too. That what's happening in this little fledgling church would just be contagious in us. And we just find ourselves doing the very things we see right here in this letter from Paul to the Colossians. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. And he wrote this letter to this little fledgling church in Colossae. And the reason he wrote the letter is because a guy named Epaphras came to Paul and gave him a report about this little church. Now the reason this guy named Epaphras goes to Paul and gives him report is because Epaphras at some point had come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, likely through Paul, who was in a neighboring city, probably the city of Ephesus, which is about 120 miles to the west of Colossae, sharing the gospel on one of his missionary journeys. And Epaphras must have been there because he came to know Christ, and he went back home, and he apparently began to share with the people close to him what Christ was doing in his life, and he had the opportunity to lead someone who was close to him, closer to Jesus. And a little church was born. He planted a church in his hometown of Colossae. So God has been working marvelously in this little fledgling church right in the middle of a diverse culture that's full of different religious perspectives. And God's been bringing forth the fruit of the gospel. And Epaphras goes to Paul and tells he and Timothy about all that God is doing. And Paul wants to write this little fledgling church he's never even visited because he wants to encourage them. And he writes this letter so that they might be encouraged as a family, a church who needs to become ready for the return of Jesus Christ, right where they live, right when they live. I'm hoping that you will read Colossians multiple times during our study, that you would read before you come into this place the passage we're going to be focusing on the next Sunday, and that you would allow God to just speak to you as you study and walk along this letter and this experience together and that we would see God do something in our church family that would be an amazing testimony of his care over his church and his desire that the church become a ready bride. So I want to start together in Colossians 1 and I want us to read together just the first two verses, this little introduction to get a flavor of what's being said here. And so when we read this, I want you to think about what we're reading through a particular lens. All right, last Sunday, I was not able to be here, 
because I was visiting another church family, church family I used to be a part of many years ago. And I was there because they were celebrating the ministry leadership of their pastor, Pastor Chris Osborne. He'd been there for 33 years, faithfully leading. And that was his last Sunday. He is now a professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And they were celebrating his 33 years of ministry. And they invited me to come and be a small part of that celebration. So I met Chris my freshman year in college. So I've had 31 years of the 33 with his mentoring, his influence, and his friendship. And it was an incredible privilege to go back and share during that that experience. I'll never forget on January 29th, 1989, I walked down the aisle of Central Baptist Church and Chris met me at the front of the church and I said to him, I believe God's calling me to be a pastor. He didn't look at me and laugh, although he could have. He looked at me and said words that made me believe that God would be faithful to do what he started to do in my heart on that night 31 years ago. That meant a lot to me. The years would go by and I'd end up serving on his staff as the college minister in the church for a number of years and then God would call me out of that post to another position in another church family where I would be the senior pastor or the lead pastor. I was 30 years old, I was green as they come, and it didn't take long for me to recognize that I needed a lot more help than I thought I did. I can remember calling him about the six-month mark and saying to Chris, I need help. This is so challenging and difficult. And out of that conversation, he had a dream of gathering guys just like me that have come out of that church family who wanted to be senior pastors to get encouragement, influence, and mentoring along the way. We've been meeting every year since then, about 20 years. He's been just pouring into my life and many others just like me. Something that happened really incredible in the first couple of years is I was stood up to preach in the church, and I looked out at the congregation, and there sitting about midway back was Chris. He didn't tell me he was coming. He just showed up, and that freaked me out, let me tell you. After I preached that day, just hoping that something made sense and that he would think well of me. He called me and he said, the kindest words of encouragement, how thankful he was for me, and how much it meant to him that I was faithfully proclaiming God's truth. Those words that he shared with me after coming and sitting in the church service with me, I promise you, helped me walk through the challenges that would lay ahead. Help me believe that the Lord could do in me what he promised. That that is what is happening in this letter. Who is more respected and incredibly important in the kingdom of God than Paul, Timothy, his protege? And they're writing this letter to this little fledgling church and they're saying to this church, we believe in you. We are thankful for you. We see God's work in you. We know God's going to be faithful to keep on doing it. 
Can, can you imagine the emotion? The powerful words. The meaningful words. When that little Colossian church read this letter. Okay, listen to the letter through that lens. All right, let's read the introduction. Paul, I'll be reading this morning from the Greek New Testament. If you have your Bible, please read along whatever version you have. If you don't have your Bible here, you can pick one up in the pew in front of you, the Christian Standard Bible. You can find it on page about, I think, 1043. You can look at it there and uh, just follow along and see what the Lord says to us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To those in Colossae, the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul just starts out the letter by telling them, hey, I am who I am because of the will of God. This is God's work in me. Now, he's not going to jump right into the subject of the will of God, but he will jump right into that subject in verses 9 through 12, you can read that in preparation for next Sunday. Verses 9 through 12, talking about the will of God. It's incredible. It's going to be a lot of fun to get into that. But he does jump into something else that he's going to emphasize. He says, he starts to introduce this idea, this theme of family. He says, Timothy, our brother. Brother, it's a family term. He says to the saints in Christ who are faithful. Brothers and sisters. It's a family. Then at the end of verse 2, he says, God our Father, family. He's using family words. He's talking about the local church being a family. You know, every one of us can identify the longings in our heart for a good family. Nobody wants a bad family. Everybody wants a good family. And you think about us as a local church being a family. We are God's family. How much more important for us to be a good family, a growing family, a family that's unified, a family that really demonstrates the goodness of God in us and through us. This is about family, and we are a family. And Paul is going to write about this church family, and when he writes about this church family, he is going to be writing with words that are overflowing with thanksgiving. He is so thankful for what's happening in this little church family. All right, let's read verses 3 through 8. This first passage, Paul speaks about the Colossians. He says, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we pray for you. Having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, the love which you have for the church, on account of the hope which is being stored up or reserved for you in heaven. That hope which you heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel which came to you. Just as in all the world, that gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as also in you 
from the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate, to truly know the grace of God. Just as you learned from Epaphras, the beloved fellow servant of us, who is faithful for you, a servant of Christ, he told us about your love in the Spirit. So Paul says in this letter, he says, I am so thankful for you because I've heard about how the gospel has come to you and that you are demonstrating faith in Christ and a love for the church because or on account of this hope that's reserved in heaven for you. He's saying the future hope that you have in Christ is driving your present beliefs and actions. And because that's happening in you, I'm overwhelmed with thankfulness. Paul is so thankful because their focus on future hope is driving their present beliefs and actions. That's what we do in the family of God. We place our hope on the future promises of Christ. And we know that one day every wrong will be made right. That sin will be once and for all conquered and death will be once and for all removed. We place our focus on future hope that says to us there is coming a day when this body that is burdened by sin and shame will be completely remade and I'll have a new body that has never been touched or marred by sin or shame. And that I will live in a new world that's been fashioned by God without the brokenness of sin where I can do a new work to the glory of God for eternity living in perfection to the worship of God in a place where every tear has once and for all been wiped away and all I know is increasing joy forever in the worship of my Father. That's what we do in the family of God. We place our focus on future hope. In such a way that it drives present beliefs and actions. Here's how I want you to think about what we're observing in this letter. Lindley and I regularly like to take little hikes around the lake in Georgetown. If you've not hiked around the lake in Georgetown, you're able to do that. I encourage you to go out and take a little hike. One of our favorites is starts at uh, Cedar Breaks. And we get on the trail there at Cedar Breaks, and about two and a half miles into the trail, there's this really cool spring-fed waterfall. It is beautiful. If you can't make it the rest of the way two and a half miles out, just camp out there. You, you'll love it. It's, it's a great place to just visit and see. Now, on the way, there are multiple water crossings. When you come to a water crossing, someone who's been there before you has kindly placed rocks across the water crossing so that you can step on those stones and make it across the water onto your destination. As we read Colossians, we're going to come every Sunday to a water crossing for today. And what we have is the opportunity to take steps across the stepping stones, next steps 
into becoming the ready bride that God intends us to be. So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to point out some stepping stones that we need to cross today to become a ready bride, the church that God intends us to be. Stepping stone number one, focus on future hope. Focus on future hope. In such a way that your life, the way you Live what you believe and how you act creates a story that has to be told. You see, see, what happened among the Colossians was that they had such a focus on future hope that it was driving present day beliefs and actions so that they could see the effects of the gospel. And the story was told by Epaphras to Paul and Timothy and they're elated with thanksgiving and they have to just recount the story. Focus on future hope. The next thing that Paul says to the Colossians is that the gospel is growing and bearing fruit in them just like it is all over the world. And that that is happening ever since the day they heard the gospel. And ever since the day the gospel was truly appreciated in their lives. There's a difference between hearing the gospel and hearing the gospel and truly appreciating the gospel. Truly coming to know the grace of God. What Paul is saying is you heard the gospel and that gospel is bearing fruit and growing in you because you came to the place where you truly appreciated the gift of God's grace promised to you in Christ. You ever received a gift from somebody and you really appreciated that gift? You know, if you receive a gift and you truly appreciate that gift, there's some things that characterize that experience. Years and years ago, Lindley decided, this is not long after we got married, she, she decided for my birthday that she would give me a community education class. It doesn't sound really all that fancy when you first hear about it, but it was a community ed class that would teach someone how to tie flies. And I went to that community ed class, and it started with about 15 people, and it was this professional fly tire, and uh, it became very clear to most people in the class it wasn't really the class for them, and it dwindled down to about two or three of us. And so I had this hands-on experience with a professional fly tire for weeks teaching me how to tie flies. You know what I've done every year since that class? I've tied flies. And you know what? Every time I'm tying flies and somebody says, how'd you learn how to do that? I tell the story of Lindley's kind gift to me. Here I am again, some 20 plus years later, telling the story again. Now, I hope that creates pressure in Lindley's life to give me more gifts that I would truly appreciate. Uh, I shouldn't have said that because the joke is going to be on me, I promise you. <laughs> but that, that's what happens when we truly appreciate a gift. We use it and we talk about it. So think about truly appreciating God's grace. 
You know, the grace of God is given to us to move us out of the bondage of sin and into the joy of righteousness again and again and again every day this side of heaven. So how do you use God's grace? You confess the sin that God has brought to your heart that needs confession and you trust that you wouldn't care about confessing it if God didn't intend you to take steps towards righteousness and the joy of freedom. And so you put every effort into moving towards repentance again and again, day after day. You're using the grace of God by confessing your sin and taking steps toward repentance. And when you see any moment of victory over temptation and sin that used to hold you in total and complete bondage, when you see that movement towards freedom and the joy of righteousness, you tell somebody about it. You talk about it. You want to truly appreciate God's grace, you allow God's grace to work in you and you tell somebody the story of God's work in your life. Stepping stone number two, truly appreciate God's grace. Stepping stone number one, focus on future hope. Stepping stone number two, truly appreciate God's grace. You know, when I, when I read this first section of Colossians and I hear all the thanksgiving and I frame it in the emotion of these relationships, it makes me long for more experiences in our church family that feels like this passage feels when I read it in this way. This passage is just full of examples of the kind of family talk that I want to characterize our church family more and more. You have Paul and Timothy who are talking about the church at Colossae. And Paul and Timothy are saying, this church is amazing. You guys are awesome. What God is doing you is incredible. I see and I celebrate. I'm overwhelmed with thanksgiving about how God is working among you. And he just says to them, you are a part of the family. If you're ever wondering, is this new little church in this diverse culture amidst all other religious perspectives, if you ever wonder what's happening to you, nobody can see the world like I can see it, Paul is saying. I've been all over the place. I've seen God's work everywhere. I've been the conduit of God's work in so many places all over the known world. And I'm telling you that what's happening all over the world with the miraculous work of the gospel, that's happening in you. You're in the family. You feel that incredible encouragement? And those are powerful words. They're, they're meaningful words. They're careful words. They're family words. Not this last week, but the week before, I sat down with David Griffin and we were talking about the sermon preparation for the sermon David preached last Sunday. If you were not here last Sunday and you missed that sermon, please take about a half an hour of your life this week and listen to that sermon. It was marvelous. So please don't miss that. 
Now, as we were talking about preparation and sharing ideas, David said some things to me. He talked about God's work in his life through the church. He talked about God's work in his life through our other pastors. And he took a little bit of effort to tell me just a few words about God's work in his life through me. When somebody you respect says something about what they see God doing in your life, it matters. Those are, those are, those are family words. You also in this letter see right here in the beginning Epaphras talking about the Colossians to Paul and Timothy. So Epaphras has seen what God is doing. He goes and he tells Paul and Timothy all about what's happening back at the little church. So if you're that church and you get this letter back and you read about what Epaphras said about you and what he said about you is God is working. He is moving. He is growing the gospel in and through them. Those, those are family words. Powerful words, meaningful words. It's, it's not just that Epaphras is telling Paul and Timothy about the church at Colossae. Paul and Timothy are also telling the church in Colossae about Epaphras. Can you imagine what Epaphras would think if, if Paul said, Hey, I finished the letter. You want to take a look at it? And he, and he picks it up and Epaphras starts reading. He's like, Whoa, you think that about me? Like, you think that I'm a fellow servant in the gospel with you? You see, he, he mentioned some stuff about Epaphras even later in the letter. He put all that together. He's going to be looking at that and saying, wait a minute, you, you feel like I'm a prayer warrior for the church in Colossae? You, you feel like I'm a hard worker for the church in Laodicea and Colossae? You feel like I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ just like you? You feel like I'm one of your fellow servants? You feel like that I'm giving everything I can for the sake of Christ in the church of Colossae? You see that in me? You see how meaningful it is for Paphras to read words about him that Paul and Timothy were telling the church of Colossae. And, and then you have words from Paul to the church of Colossae about Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, says to the church of Colossae that Timothy is my brother. Hmm. Just one little phrase there. Timothy the brother. Paul has every right to call Timothy his son. In fact, he does it in other writings. Because Paul's the one that led Timothy to follow Christ like nothing else before. He was the biggest influence on his life and a mentor in his life. But here, Paul says to Timothy, hey, I want you to write this letter with me. And when he writes the letter, he doesn't call Timothy his son. He calls him his brother. You ever had somebody that you respect? mentor, somebody that's down the way in front of you, you're saying, I want to be like them, and they say, hey, I want you to come alongside me because you're ready to tackle the world. See, those are, those are powerful words. Those are meaningful words. Those are family words. There's one other little conversation here I want you to see. It's Paul and Timothy talking to the Lord 
about the church in Colossae. Paul and Timothy says, we are praying for you, and every time we're praying for you, we are overwhelmed with thanksgiving for you. You guys make us so full of thanksgiving and joy. You ever had somebody come up to you and say, I'm praying for you every day, and every time I pray for you, my heart is absolutely filled with thanksgiving. See, those are powerful words. Those are meaningful words. Those are family words. You, you know why this matters so much for our church family? I'm going to give you two reasons why this matters so much for us as a church family. Here's reason number one. Every word matters to the Lord. Every word matters to the Lord. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says that we will give an account for every word that comes out of our mouths, even those words that we would say, that was not really given a lot of concern or care. That wasn't a big word. That's just a trivial statement. No, Jesus says every word matters to him. Every word you speak, every word you text, every word you post on social media, every word you use matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every word matters. The reason this matters, number two, is because every word matters to us. Every word matters to you, and to me. We know it. Like, I don't even have to say it and convince you. You know that every word matters to you. I mean, you can think about those moments when someone used words that hurt you. They said something about you that hurt you. They said something to you that hurt you. They said something to someone else or they texted something and somehow you heard about it. And those words hurt. And you know that it takes 20 or 30 or 40 or more family words help outweigh that one non-family word. You know that, don't you? Words matter to us. There's some of us in this room that have had experiences in the past where maybe a parent or a sibling or a friend or an acquaintance or an enemy said something about you that was not true. said something about you that was not God's family kind of words. And that's just hung with you for years. Maybe your parents said to you that you'd never amount to anything and you've been trying to spend your whole life proving them wrong. Maybe a sibling said you don't really belong in this family. You've been trying to spend your whole life proving how they're wrong. 
every one of us have messages through non-family words of death. Every word matters to us. And that's why family words, God's family words need to be spoken here exclusively and increasingly because the family words out of the growth and fruit of the gospel have the power to overwhelm words of death, to take words of death and change those words into words of life. And we need to be a place where the words of life flourish because we are God's family. We need family talk. I want the word of God to flourish here. I want the gospel of God's grace to explode here. And I want family talk to be what characterizes us because that's what a ready bride does. Stepping stone number three. Tell a story. Tell a story. Just, I've been implying it the whole way through the sermon. Just tell a story. Tell a story about how your focus on future hope and your truly appreciating the gospel of God's grace is changing your life. Just tell a story. I've been hearing about stories for months in this place. About what God's doing in your life. Over the last month, I've heard multiple stories. A guy in our church who would normally choose to serve himself in this one circumstance told me recently, he said, instead of serving myself, I decided in that moment when my tendency was to serve myself, to instead serve my wife. And just love her. You should have seen the joy on his face. I had another person come to me recently and said, I've never fasted before, but I did it. I trusted the Lord and I did it. And, and she was just beaming with joy. I had several people come to me in recent weeks and say, I've been inviting somebody to church Somebody that's close to me. And you know what? They said they're going to come. And I'm so excited. Several people that have come to me recently said, I feel like the Lord's leading me to start a small group. I'm really excited about that. And you just hear the enthusiasm in their story. And, and when I hear their stories, you know what I want to do? I want to tell their story. So if you'll tell the story of God's work in your life, you're going to enable all of us to begin telling the story of God's work in each other's lives. And we start telling all the stories of God's amazing work in us. Something special is liable to happen. You know, you can get in a sailboat, but you can't make the wind blow. But if you get in that sailboat and you lift those sails, when the wind does blow, you're going to move. We can't make the wind of God's Spirit blow, but we most assuredly can hoist the sail. So we're ready to harness the wind. The way we lift the sails. Focus on future hope. 
appreciate God's grace and tell the story of God's marvelous work. And when God's wind starts to blow through those steps in mission, we will experience a deeper appreciation of God's grace, a more laser focus on our future hope, and we will in turn have more stories to tell than we can imagine. And we will see just the unbelievable growth and explosion of the gospel right where we live in a way that we simply could not imagine it. Let's hoist the sails. Let's do family talk so that we will be the kind of people that God wants us to be. So ask this question this week. Who in my church needs to hear family talk from me? Live on mission. This week, your mission, focus on future hope, <clears throat> appreciate God's grace, and tell a story.